welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There are thousands of Yupik and Anupiak speakers in Alaska. One service governments provide is to offer language translations of official documents. But that doesn't always go as planned. Just recently, translations for a FEMA document on accessing storm recovery money went off the rails. It was essentially unreadable for anyone familiar with the languages. And it's not the first time Alaska Native translations got it wrong. We're going to find out what happened there and what's next, coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. New leaders of the Navajo Nation took office Tuesday. A ceremony was held in Fort Defiance, Arizona, where Dr. Boo Nigren was sworn in as president, Rochelle Montoya as vice president, tribal council delegates, and other elected officials. Nigren, age 36, is the youngest person ever to take the presidency. During his campaign, he focused on being a voice of the people to address many long-standing issues facing the Navajo Nation. In his inauguration speech, Nigren expressed unity to work with the tribal council and share many of his campaign promises. Let's get basic services to the Navajo people. We need water. We need roads. We need broadband. We need better public safety. So as your next Navajo Nation president, I will not hesitate. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that our people have a chance. Our people have an opportunity to make something of themselves. Nigren, who was raised by a single mother and his grandmother, says he appreciates strong women, including seeing a need for female leadership in the Navajo Nation's top office. Rochelle Montoya made history, becoming the first woman ever as vice president. In her inauguration speech, Montoya thanked women of the Navajo Nation, past, present, and future. We are here today standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. Gentlemen, give me a few moments to take this moment in with my matriarchs, the women of the Navajo Nation, the grandmothers, the grandchildren, the mothers, the aunts, Montoya, who's known for her work as a community leader and advocate for education, encouraged people to continue to speak the Navajo language. She also expressed unity between the executive and legislative branches. 17 of the 24 Navajo delegates are new to the tribal council. Nine of the delegates are women. The Navajo Nation is one of the largest tribes in the United States, with the largest reservation located in the Four Corners region. The Central Council of the Clinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska officially signed a deed to put its first parcel of land into trust. The deed was signed this week by Clinket and Haida President Richard Peterson at the Bureau of Indian Affairs office in Anchorage. Last month, Peterson talked to National Native News about the achievement in the tribe's land back initiative after receiving the announcement in November and then being able to thank President Biden in person and top administration officials for the approval in Washington, D.C. during the White House Tribal Nation summit. We got the announcement of getting our fee to trust and that was pretty historical for Quinket and Haida, my tribe, and uh, it's only the second land to trust, you know, and I, since the um, Obama administration and the first under the Biden 
And uh, so it's pretty historical. And so we're appreciative of that. The land is located in Juneau. Among things, it will help with federal services programs and foster economic development. The parcel will be officially transferred over to the federal government to hold for the benefit of the tribe and its citizens once the deed is recorded. On Tuesday, Congressman Tom Cole was appointed chair of the House Rules Committee by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Cole has served a number of times on the committee, including as a ranking member and as vice chair. Cole, a citizen of the Chickasaw Nation, is the first Oklahoman and first Native American to chair the committee. Every major piece of legislation must be passed through the committee before consideration on the House floor. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Support by Strong Hearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The federal government has money available to assist western Alaska residents recovering from September's powerful storms. To help reach Alaska Native residents, the Federal Emergency Management Administration printed notices translated into Yupik and Anupiak. But the translations turned out to be mostly unreadable. FEMA has since recalled the documents, but questions remain about how the translations could have gone so off track and what kind of official oversight there should be for government document translations into indigenous languages. The story was reported by Alaska-based journalist Emily Schwing, who got some insights into what the translations actually say. We'll hear from her and some of the people she sought out for perspective about the botched contract. We also want to hear from you. Does your tribe work with contractors who translate documents into your language? How can governments better support native language speakers? These are just some of the questions to consider today, so join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also leave a comment on our social media, our Twitter handle, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first is Emily Schwing. She's a freelance reporter based in Anchorage, Alaska. Emily, welcome back to NAC. Thank you so much for having me. Emily, where does this story start, and when did you first learn that these government documents might not be translated correctly? Yeah, so I spent um, a lot of time following Typhoon Murbach and its impact back in mid-September, um, and then through the rest of the month out in western Alaska, um, I got deployed to both Chivak and Newtok to report on the aftermath of the storm. Um, and then I returned to Bethel and was doing some work for KYUK, uh, the public radio station out there. 
And um, FEMA spokesperson based in Anchorage called me and asked me if I could um, hand these translations over to our translator, Julia Jimmy, um, to have her look at them because he thought maybe there might be something amiss. Um, and that is how I found out that these translations were inaccurate. But it sort of led me on a, a little bit of a goose chase to find out what language, at least the the translations that were supposed to be in central, the central Yupik dialect of Yuchtun, the Yupik language on the YK Delta, um, what language that actually was. And just how badly uh, or incorrectly were these documents translated? I mean, they're just completely unusable? Yes. Um, at least, I have at least half a dozen translations that are um, unintelligible to anyone who would be a speaker of the central Yupik dialect of Yuchtun, or also um, Inupiaq, which is spoken um, by about 3,000 people further north. Um, the Yupik translations are, um, in some cases, in at least one, um, full phrasing was lifted out of a book of language and folklore that was compiled and printed in the Soviet Union in the 1940s. Um, and the Inupiaq translations were written in the Inuktitut alphabet um, Anuktitut is a language that's spoken in northeastern Canada by the indigenous, indigenous Inuit people. Um, and from what I am told by uh, Anuktitut speakers, those translations are not even words. Um, the alphabet that Anuktitut speakers use is very different from the alphabet that Inupiaq speakers use. So. Not only is it visibly incorrect, um, but if you were a speaker of either of those languages, you would not be able to understand it. Now, Emily, as I understand it, the translation company that produced these documents, they are not based in Alaska. And do you have any idea how FEMA chose this organization to, to create these documents? Yeah, so um, the... The company uh, that did these translations is called Accent on Languages. They're based in Berkeley, California, um, and they have contracted with federal agencies since 2004 um, to provide different services, interpretive services, language translation services. So um, the contract that they got through FEMA is actually a larger contract that Accent and Languages holds with the Department of Homeland Security, um, and um, and that's how they got it. Um, the way that FEMA explained it to me is that, you know, they knew that this was an emergency situation, and so they would have to move fast. So they went with an existing contract because they thought they would be able to more quickly respond in the emergency situation um, mm -hmm. to get this information out. Um, so, you know, I do want to say I don't think that there was malintent here on the part of, you know, FEMA as a federal agency to do right um, by people who needed disaster relief and recovery assistance. Um, I think that, you know, really the problem here is that this larger contract existed. They moved very quickly and unfortunately went with a company that 
has no working knowledge of Alaska Native languages, as far as I can tell. So no malintent in your view with FEMA, but this company accent on languages, uh, I mean, you're talking about uh, lifting words from ancient or <laughs> dated Russian documents. I mean, would you go so far as to say there was malintent on, on behalf of this contractor? Um, you know, I haven't been able to get the CEO of the company to agree to an interview. So I'm going to say no, I wouldn't go that far just because I haven't spoken to them about what happened here. I do know um, from an email exchange that they did do an internal investigation into why this happened, but they declined to offer any information or answer my questions about why and how this could happen and how they plan to remedy this situation so that when the next federal contract comes up for them to provide uh language translation or interpretive services, they make sure that this is not something that happens again. Emily, how big was this contract? Do you know how much Accent on Languages was paid for the documents? Yeah, Accent on Languages was paid $27,800. So to put that in perspective, um, that's about three times the median income of the average person that lives on the Yukon Kuskokwim Delta or who speaks, you know, the central Yupik dialect uh, in Western Alaska. Um, And FEMA to date has paid out just under $6.4 million in disaster relief funds to people in Western Alaska. So um, that, you know, it's 842 individuals who have applied for assistance. If you do the math, it's about $7,600 or an average of $8,000 per person. Um, so this contract was, you know, also three times as high uh, as the average disaster recovery payout uh, to an individual who applied and was approved for disaster relief. Now, a larger question here, uh, Emily, is um, is this part of a pattern? Is there any indication that uh, these inadequate translations of indigenous languages um, are occurring in any sort of frequency with regard to, to federal translation projects? Or do you think this is just a one-time isolated incident? Honestly, Sean, I, I would not be surprised if this were part of a pattern. Um, there have been instances, this happens quite a bit with... Um, American Sign Language interpretation. Um, I have found um, what I think you know happens more is that um, like the long the wrong dialect has been used to mm-hmm. translate something. So um, you know I've found that with election materials where you know one dialect dialect has been used to replace another, it underserves a community. I'm not sure you know this is a pretty dramatic um, instance where, you know, you know, full phrasing of, of folklore uh, in a Russian language has been lifted from a book. So I, I don't know that that happens as often, but I would not be surprised if, you know, there was some sort of audit on indigenous language interpretation and translation services and mistakes like this were found uh, across the board. Emily, thank you for your reporting on this timely issue. Moving along now, we have our next guest who is joining us from Anchorage, Alaska, Tara Sweeney. 
She is the principal and CEO of TAC 71 Strategies and the former Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs at the U.S. Department of Interior. She is Anupiak. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Tara. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. And Tara, what was your initial reaction when you first heard about this bungled translation? Were you surprised? Uh, absolutely. You know, I'm very thankful for the work that Emily Schwing put into uncovering uh, this sort of gross oversight by um, the federal government. And I was extremely shocked and uh, I would say hurt at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can only imagine, uh, especially you being uh, an Anupiak person yourself, to hear about this egregious uh, mistranslation of these really important, critical, critical documents. And we're going to talk more with Tara Sweeney after our break. And anybody who has any questions or any comments about today's show, uh, if you have uh, a native language uh, in your own community and you work with outside contractors or you rely on uh, other people to translate some of these important documents. If you've got anything to add to our discussion, we sure would appreciate your thoughts today. That number to call 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. More with Tara Sweeney when we come back from this short break. A famous mountain lion that lived in the hills near Los Angeles just died. Area tribes are working with wildlife officials to honor the lion known as P-22 beyond his scientific contributions. In the process, they're providing insights into tribes' cultural connection to mountain lions and other animals. We'll hear about the life and importance of P-22 on the next Native America Calling. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you want to join today's dialogue about a native language translation gone wrong, you can do so by calling 1-800-996-2848. Does the story you're hearing about what happened in Alaska sound similar to something that happened in your community? If so, you can join our conversation by calling 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's get some calls going. 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking now with Tara Sweeney, former Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs at the U.S. Department of Interior. Tara, what needs to happen? Listening to Emily, it appears that there has been an intentional effort to pass off insufficient work as part of a legitimate government contract. Well, I, as an Alaska Native, uh, I, I said before the break that I was that I was hurt, and it's important to define and and clarify why that is. What we're seeing before us is a very hurtful action, and it's because it's the blatant disregard of Alaska Natives and our languages and our needs of um, of our peoples, and it's still alive in the federal government. And it was illustrated through basically the simple distribution of these materials. And it's an affront to the 
thousands of native language translators across the country in our native communities to the linguists who worked so hard uh, to ensure that our language is appropriately captured uh, and passed down, and to the teachers in our communities, the the current modern-day teachers and the ones that paved the way for, for us to have language teachers in our schools, in our communities. And so if it's happening in Alaska, it could be happening across the United States with other translations in other native languages and uh, other minority languages across the country. And so as I would say native peoples, it's our responsibility to protect the integrity of why we are who we are and language is at the heart of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so my advice would be to contact uh, our congressional representatives from across the country. If you're listening in Alaska, reach out to the delegation office. If you're in Arizona, reach out to your your legislators uh, at the federal level and, and demand that there is an oversight hearing. Um, Congress has the authority to provide oversight to federal agencies. And we don't know how deep or wide this issue uh, goes within FEMA or within other federal agencies. And uh, Congress should be exercising its responsibility to uh, American Indian and Alaska Native peoples by conducting an oversight hearing on this. Tara, again, listening to Emily talk about just how badly these documents were botched and referencing these old Russian folk stories and, and things of that nature. I mean, you as a, as a former federal official, you have a much better grasp on, on how these types of contracts work than, than other people. And so my question, I mean, how does this happen? How does the federal government procure language translations um, that go so awry? And, and how does quality control on something like that, uh, a unique indigenous language work? Well, and that's that's the beauty of an oversight hearing is to get to the bottom of where these lapses in judgment actually occurred and then to identify how to fix them. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea just to how many people, uh, UPIC and UPIC speakers, that those documents reached? I, you know, and I have, I have no idea uh, how far these, uh, flyers may have been distributed, whether they were passed out at um, the annual Alaska Native Federation of Natives convention or if they went into mailboxes. It's, it's unclear to me. Uh, the important thing to, to note, though, is that people in time of need uh, are looking for information. And uh, when there are natural disasters and community crises, uh, people need information. And Uh, the simple fact that the federal government was comfortable uh, distributing this type of information that people could not understand, again, uh, has an impact on whether or not those people in need can actually access services to the fullest capacity. Right, right. And it it makes one wonder just uh, what is the toll there? I mean, are there people now that have gone without vital services or the result of, of not getting this information correctly distributed to them, if it's impacted them in a very serious way. Is there any way to determine that, Tara? Again, I would go back to the simple fact that Congress can act 
and host or hold an oversight hearing and have uh, FEMA and the contractor and others uh, involved in this process uh, come forward and start answering questions. Now, earlier I asked Emily also, is this, uh, is there a pattern here? Could this be a one-time thing? And she suggested that you know, it, this happens with, for example, sign languages. And what's your thought on that, Tara? I mean, going back to, to previous agencies, uh, any indication that this could be an ongoing practice there within the federal government to just really uh, just mess up these important documents with translations? Well, I think it's important to find out. And uh, if, again, as I stated earlier, if it can happen in Alaska, it can happen in Salt River or Gila River. It can happen to the Ojibwe language uh, in these translations. Um, and so it, it is important, again, for our congressional leaders to uh, look into this. Okay. Tara, some people be might ignored. right, right, certainly. Um, and earlier we heard that the contract was just under twenty eight thousand dollars, twenty seven thousand eight hundred dollars, and in the grand scheme of things, that those relief funds, that budget is over six million dollars. So it, it is a tiny fraction in, in that grand scheme of of a large, large budget, a multi million dollar budget. Um, so is that pause for us to? I mean. When we look at this in in relation to the size of the budget, is how big a deal is this? Some people might say, "Well, geez, it's, your, it's I mean, one of our producers before the show shared, "Well, that's about the cost of a of a Honda Accord. It's not like this huge amount of money." Well, I mean, we're talking about extreme remote places in Alaska, where uh, in some places you have a case of diapers that costs ninety nine dollars. So. Um, 27,000 may be the tip of the iceberg, to use an Alaskan analogy, <laughs> which is precisely why Congress needs to look into this. And it, this may be a small contract for uh, Central Yupik and Inupiaq speaking languages, but let me tell you, um, it's important to go back and take a look at all of the work that this contractor uh, has performed for FEMA to see whether or not there are inaccuracies or lapses in oversight uh, or, quite frankly, um, waste, fraud, and abuse uh, by this contractor uh, to doing work for FEMA. Also, so, yes, 27000 may not mean a lot to people in Washington, D.C., but I guarantee you it means a lot to uh, the, the folks in the Chalista region and up in the, the northern regions of Alaska where, uh, where it's extremely difficult uh, to, to access for goods and services sure, and extremely sure. expensive. Absolutely. And also it makes one wonder if there might have been uh, an indigenous translation company that could have done a better job on that project. Let's I guarantee go ahead and... you there absolutely would, would have been a, a, a better um, route to, to access accurate uh, translation. Let's go ahead and take a call now. Uh, we have uh, somebody listening in Cheyenne River, South Dakota. Hello, caller. You're on the line. Yes. Um, back in 2012, our education system was sending our Lakota language teachers up to Perry Knights Casinos to, for training on our Lakota language that was taught by Germans. Now, 
or the code of the language teachers needed to be have a refresher in any way. It should have been taught by our elderlies of our reservation rather than the Germans and stuff. The way I look at it, our Lakota language is a tradition that should not be altered in any way. Mm. Caller, thank you for those wise words. And Tara, I mean, earlier you shared this could happen to any other tribal community and the importance of us to understand that this could extend far beyond Alaska. And this caller shares uh, a story of how their language was contracted out to a German company. It doesn't sound like uh, botched documents in this case, but it's certainly something to think about with regard to as Native people taking more ownership and how our languages are not only taught, but also how materials are created. And um, what's your thought on that, Tara? Is there, uh, are we going to see more of an effort going forward of um, just producing more of these materials in-house? I mean, I think we, we, most of our tribes, in many cases, we have the capacity, we have the expertise to do some of these things ourselves. There, there have been efforts, I know, uh, in my home region on the North Slope to produce these materials in-house, whether it by um, linguists, and, and experts like Jana Hacharik uh, and um, Edna McLean uh, focusing on uh, culturally appropriate and culturally relevant material, like winter sources of drinking water as one. Uh, and, and so there are efforts that, that you will find um, across the country, uh, and I hope that it continues because it is absolutely important. I'm not a linguist. There are far more uh, qualified people to be speaking on this topic than than me, um, so I want to acknowledge the work that those that have, have um, worked in the language space for decades uh, and, and the work that they've done. Well, Tara, thank you for your insights, and, and let's go ahead and, and bring a linguist into the conversation now, as you suggest. Speaking with us from Hawaii is Dr. Gary Holton. He is a linguist. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, and yeah, I just want to uh, thank uh, uh, Emily and, and Tara for their um, insights on this. It just really egregious uh, a breach here. And you know what? One thing I, I wanted to uh, point out here is that I'm not sure we can really even characterize this as a botched translation. This was very clearly a deliberate attempt to make a quick buck by not doing a translation. Okay. So this this, this company, Accent on Language, just took the this material and copied it randomly from existing archival documents which they were able to access very easily on the web and pasted it in and called it a translation. So it's, it, it's, it's really quite nefarious in that way that um, it, it's, it's not simply that someone tried to do a translation and did a poor job of it. They did not try. Now, Gary, to clarify, you were brought in to review these documents and um how long did that take for you to go ahead and, and look over all these materials, and, and what did you learn in the process? Well, you know, I, when Emily first approached me with these documents, my, my first thought was just to identify what the language was. And I, I should acknowledge that, you know, I'm, I'm a linguist, you know, born um, and, and raised in lower 48. Um, I'm not a native speaker of any Alaska native languages, but, but looking at the document, I knew they had to be at least some Yupik language, right? There are four closely related Yupik languages, um, Siberian Yupik and uh, 
central Yupik has spoken in the YK Delta, and uh, Alutik, you know, spoken down in Kodiak region, and then Naukan um, over on the uh, Russian side. So it had to be one of those. It was very clear from the writing system, uh, but uh, it wasn't clear which language. So the first task was to try to figure out which language um, the, the document was written in. Um, just by looking at the writing system a little more, you could figure out it certainly wasn't Central Yupik as spoken on the YK Delta. So my next approach was to start comparing with some existing documents to see you know, what might match. And one of the first things I turned to was a set of uh, texts that were compiled in the 1940s and recently uh, transcribed and transliterated into the Latin alphabet. Um, and these texts uh, came up with matches almost identically to various places in the document. So uh, this set of texts, which is now housed at the Alaska Native Language Archives in Fairbanks, uh, has word for word various parts of the text, but not in any sort of order. So it's as if somebody took one portion of one sentence and then skipped down several pages, took another portion of a sentence and pasted that in, and then skipped down a few more pages, grabbed a few more words and pasted those in. Mm -hmm. So it ends up being something like a word salad. And so it, once once we saw that, it was just clear that you know the entire document had just been cut and pasted from uh, from the set of texts compiled by a woman named Ekaterina um, Prupsova during the 1940s, uh, actually on the Russian side um, in uh, Chukotka. Now, Gary, as a linguist yourself, um, I mean, how does this reflect on just uh, your profession in general? I mean, other linguists and just the professional integrity that uh, folks like you work very hard to maintain. Yeah, not not just folks like me, but also, as I, I think, as, as Tara pointed out, just really dedicated people doing translation work in Alaska, uh, which is very difficult and very time-consuming and really just a labor of love. People put, you know, a lot of work into into this kind of thing, and, and then an outside contractor like this comes out and, and just abuses the entire process, basically gaming the federal contracting system to get in a low bid or a preferential bid and get a contract to, to do this job and not even do the job. I think what, what we really need to see is, is, as Tara pointed out, is greater oversight. And you have a good model of this with, with what's been done, for example, at the State Division of Elections where there have been workshops and training and oversight, and you have an amazing crew of people from a number of languages that do very good work, uh, uh, which has some oversight, involves Alaska Native people, Alaska Native linguists, and that's really what we need to see. And unfortunately, at the federal level, there is none of this kind of oversight. If somebody gets a contract, whether they're in Berkeley, California, or Washington, D.C., they can submit anything they want, and there is nobody that's ever going to look at that material and, and assess whether, whether mm -hmm. it's correct or not. Right. So I, I agree very much with her. We do not know. This is very much the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's really just happenstance that this was discovered. It could have easily gone by the wayside. 
I think many speakers might have looked at it and said, eh, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a poor translation, but I won't worry about it. And we don't know how much this is happening in Arizona and Utah and wherever uh, in, for any any language in the U.S. Um, it it could be quite quite systemic. We're speaking with Dr. Gary Holton. He's a linguist who worked on these FEMA documents that were so egregiously mistranslated. We'll be back after a short break. The number to call with a question, 1-800-996-2848. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's still time to join our conversation about governments translating federal government assistance documents. Share your thoughts by calling 1-800-996-2848. Let's get some more calls going. 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest will help us gain a better understanding of this issue from a cultural context. Joining us from Bethel, Alaska is Julia Jimmy. She is translator and Yupik language programming producer at radio station KYUK. She is Yupik. Julia, welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you as well, Julia. And also joining us from Bethel, Alaska is Sam Berlin. He is a translator and KYUK talk show host. He is Yupik. Sam, welcome to Native America Calling. Hello to everyone that is listening from Alaska. Hello to you as well, Sam. Appreciate you uh, sharing that warm introduction. And Julia, let's start with you. Tell us more uh, about the Yupik language. Is it widely spoken within Yupik communities? It is widely spoken. There are children growing up with uh, Yupik as their first language and Translators are needed in villages, and um, translators are needed at the hospital. So it, Yupik is still widely spoken. Mm-hmm. And what about Yupik uh, as a written language? Is it is it widely read? And do you, and with regard to these documents we're talking about today, or is it more of a spoken language? There are more speakers than there are readers. I guess that's the case with other languages. Um, But there are kids growing up with uh, learning Yupik at school with bilingual education. And the Bible was... uh, the written, the translated Bible was modernized to um, modern Yupik orthography. Mm-hmm. I think now, that was completed recently in 2015. 2015. And Julia, I understand uh, Emily reached out to you uh, for for help with this issue with uh, the translations, the the FEMA documents, and. and 
what was your reaction? I mean, how did it make you feel to see this 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 gross, gross uh, mistranslation of of your language? I think I first saw this in a document that was sent to me by our uh, development director at KYUK, Kristen Hall. She asked me to look over the translation and see if it was understandable. And I looked at it, and it wasn't Yupik. And it happened again. Emily Swing sent me a document and asked me to look look at it and see if I could understand it. I looked, and I honestly thought it was Inupak. I It wasn't Yupik. I picked out a couple of words that were written like Yupik, but it it wasn't Yupik. I honestly thought it was an Alaska native language other than Yupik. I thought someone just got their papers mixed up. Okay. And Sam, how about you? What was your reaction? Um, when, when I looked at the document, um, because I was never taught Yupik language, how to read it, I didn't know. But uh, once once it was, uh, um, to, I, I was notified that this language, I, I looked at it again, and yes, um, it, it, Kind it it wasn't surprising to me because uh, throughout history this has been happening from way back since Columbus landed in the eastern side of the continent and it's and it's still going on. Mm-hmm. That's what well, I believe. Absolutely, and, and Sam, you know. We're sitting here grasping for answers, like what could be done to to make sure that things like this don't happen in the future. And there's also this thought that maybe it's already happening in other parts of Native America. And what what are your thoughts in terms of what could be done? What processes should be in place to make sure that these languages and other Alaska Native languages are translated correctly? I think from when I think about it, I would like to see a Yupik person representing me, someone that knows the language, someone that is Yupik, um, that, that is something, you know, that, that I dream of instead mm-hmm. of someone other, other than Yupik representing me. Julia, how about you? I mean, earlier I had raised the question that there perhaps would be uh, an indigenous company or a person that could have done a better job with those translations. Uh, do you know of anybody or perhaps yourself that, that would have been a better fit to, to get that contract and, and work on those, uh, those FEMA documents? Yes. Uh, KYUK has a translating service and... Um, there are other translators. I get contacted by these translating companies from the lower 48 from time to time, and 
I refer other translators and um, so our oversight in the Yukon Kasku Krimgalta here is our audience who speaks both Yupik and English and I think translate people needing translation they should come to the YK Delta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. And and Sam, I also want to ask you because uh, another larger issue here at stake is is trust. And uh, when Yupik people or Nupiak people or Native people in general rely on, on some sort of outside entity to work with our languages, to translate our languages, we, we generally trust that they're going to do a good job, that they're going to do it right. And when that trust is, is shattered, like it has been in this situation, um, what, what goes into to restoring that trust? Is it even possible at this point? Uh well, uh, for me, in general, um, I I have never trusted our government, um, and this this even makes it worse when something like this is being put into to anybody that can read and get into the internet. Um, and it's, and it's on there and they say that this is the translation of Inupak and Yupik language. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. it, it, it's, it's shattering and it's sad. Yeah, it certainly, certainly is. And I want to go ahead and bring Tara Sweeney back into the conversation. Tara, as I understand, your great-grandfather helped develop an Anupiak alphabet. And just um, from what your family knows and has learned, were any of the words in that text decipherable in the Anupiak language? Well, when Emily sent that to me, um, Miss Jimmy had said she thought it was Anupiak. I had said to, to Emily, I said, we don't have the letter E in our Achagat. And yes, um, Dr. Reverend Roy Amarwak, who's my great-grandfather, uh, and we have many descendants in our family. Uh, he did uh, create the, the uh, first Achagat, the first alphabet, and he translated the New Testament from uh, English into Inupiaq. So Emily sent the, the document to me, and I said, this may be Siberian Yupik, and you need to check with the Bering Straits region uh, to verify, but it's not in Yupik, and that much I know. Okay. And different forms of, of Yupik, like you like you share, Tara, uh, there's Siberian Yupik, there's Central Yupik. Julia, can you um, help us out here? Uh, are there striking differences between Siberian Yupik and, and Central Yupik, the languages? Yes, I. There was a couple of words I picked out. There was a uh, kayak, which is kayak, and another word I picked out was igak, which means a uh, piece of riding. Mm-hmm. But there are some words I can pick up here and there from even from the Inupiaq language. 
I couldn't understand the conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the phones. We have Junior listening on KYUK. Junior, thanks for calling in today. Hi, good morning. Um, I just am happy that they're confusing the world because they're trying to use it as a code talking. I bet I I changed my mind of what I was going to say, but I just want to say that out. They're trying to code talk like the Indians did in the wars and they couldn't figure it out. That's how they won the war. That's why mm-hmm. they want to try to learn our Yupik language so they can code talk. I just wanted to take that out. We shouldn't teach no more to any other races. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Junior, for that call coming up there from the Kuskokwim area there in Alaska. And, uh, well, let's, let's have Sam respond to that. I mean, Sam Jr. suggests let's just not share the language at all with anybody else. Uh, when these kinds of uh, bad actors come into the fold, uh, what's your response to that, Sam? Do you think that's a, a logical uh, conclusion to make that Jr. shares? Oh, maybe we don't have Sam. Julia, maybe you could respond to that. Sam suggests just not sharing the language with anyone outside the community. Oh, that's okay, Sam. Oh, yeah. I totally disagree with, with uh, the earlier caller's remark uh, because the more the more people know the language and can read it, the better off we will be, especially in these type of situations when, when the government has money to be put out to help people in in uh, this situation mm-hmm. well thank you for sharing that sam great insight there as well appreciate it um julia are there um is there a, a large effort to uh to teach the the yupik language to folks that that maybe didn't grow up speaking it and also amongst uh the younger generation the children do many of them learn yupik at home as a first language Yes, many children are still growing up with Yupik as their first language, and there are bilingual education programs like the Ayapunlitnaovik, the Yupik Immersion School here in Bethel, and there's another one in Anchorage. But the biggest, most important one to me is teaching Yupik to our own children at home. Mm-hmm. Certainly. That's still going on and encouraged by grandparents. So, well, that's thank you for <clears throat> thank you for sharing, Julia. And I want to go back to to our reporter on the show, Emily Schwing, um, one of the people that broke this initial story. And Emily, I want to ask you now: um, Do you have plans to write any follow up articles or? Earlier, it was suggested that this could be going on in, in other Native communities. Any thought at looking into other stories outside of Alaska? Um, yes, absolutely. I have reached out um, to a number of federal agencies, um, including the Department of Justice, the Department of Education, um, the Election Assistance Commission, 
Um, so yeah, this is this is ongoing and very active reporting. I'm very eager to sort of answer some of the questions that you asked me earlier, Sean, about how widespread this is with respect to indigenous languages. Mm-hmm. And um, how would you go about even, you know, the idea that there could be or the possibility that this could be happening in other communities? How, how do you, as a reporter, how do you go about researching that and, and starting that initial investigation? Oh, such a good question. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, there are days that I've been doing this reporting where I've just thought I'm just one reporter and these are huge contracts and, you know, they they're these are contracts. These are companies that have contracted with federal agencies for years. Um, I honestly don't know that, you know, one reporter could do the level of audit that, you know, Tara Sweeney is calling for. Um, I, I definitely think, you know, that would be the responsibility of the Government Accountability Office. Um, I, but, you know, like we've all said, I, I think that this reporting and this story just uh, scratches the surface on a, a more widespread and long-term problem uh, with federal contracting. Well, unfortunately, folks, we are now out of time. Let's thank guests Emily Schwing, Tara Sweeney, Gary Holton, Sam Berlin, and Julia Jimmy for their time and insights regarding government translations of the Yupik and Inupiaq languages. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. We'll take a look at how tribes near Los Angeles are working to honor a famous mountain lion. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. This Native American Heritage Month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Yate, Ishanti did not so sinicate on Londo, renewal letter, Joe Holongo, Edia, the Onegreda Hakasbi Sinzida, the Lish, Adia Pantanotra, local Indian healthcare provider, Ajibashati, not Edodai, State Medicaid Office of the Ajibashati, not Natsosana, Jiggy Ajibandini, Trasato, current address. D. Colobe Hitronagi, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Ibits Ando, Echa. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.